Amen. You may be seated. And welcome. It's great to see everybody here today. Welcome to Seattle, right? All right. I'm going to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you, and you can find the 11th chapter of John on page 843 as we continue through this incredible gospel book written by the Apostle John, who also wrote uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. I do want to just kind of follow up on what David said. Um, you know, I was just thinking as we're in here, we have a lot of children in our children's ministry, which means we have a lot of servants in our, serv- in our children's ministry. And I'm so thankful for the servants that we have at this church as God continues to to grow our church, add people. And one of the reasons we're meeting on Tuesday night for our servants meeting is, one, to encourage those that are serving to, to, to add more people. I mean, we have needs in technology, audiovisual, worship, uh, children's, greeting, ushering, I don't know, men's, women's. We, we just kind of need it all across the board. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to reset because when we moved into this building a year ago, I mean, we were really starting from scratch. And this is a great time for us to reset, so really looking forward to you being here. Uh, 7 o'clock, and at that point, there should be no more rain. I'm not a prognosticator, but that's my prayer. At any rate, John chapter 11. What would you say if somebody were to ask you, what is the greatest event in all of history? If you were to be asked, what is the greatest event? I mean, might you say, well, certainly it was my marriage, or the birth of a child, or maybe the end of a war or the conquering of a nation, or maybe for some of you, it's just the selling of a boat. That was a great event. But the reality is there is only one event in history that matters, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest event in all of history. There is no other event that even comes close. In fact, Christianity does not exist Christianity is a fraud without the resurrection. In fact, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the most comprehensive text in the Bible on the resurrection, the Apostle Paul talks about what happens if there is no resurrection. In fact, in in, in verses 12 through 19, he says, if there is no resurrection, then he says, then Christ is not raised. That's a scary thought because if Christ is not raised, our preaching is in vain. And I better go get another job. But if my preaching is in vain and there is no resurrection, then your faith is in vain. And we are all just liars. Paul is telling us this. But worst of all, you aren't, your sins aren't forgiven. You're still in your sins, meaning you are facing God's wrath. And then he says, there's no hope for the dead. And not only is there no hope for the dead, but he says, we are just pitiful. And then it's like there's this long pause. And Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
He has been raised from the dead. In fact, when you read scriptures, it is all about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is the most important aspect of all of it. Because without the resurrection, Jesus is in the grave. He's dead. And the resurrection power is the same power that will raise us up from the dead. Now, when we get to John chapter 11, this is an illustration of the resurrection. See, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, many thought it was the end. They thought that Jesus was defeated. They thought all hope was gone. But it wasn't the end. He wasn't defeated. Life is not hopeless. In fact, he defeated gr the grave and he defeated sin. Jesus revives the dead. He resurrects those in his life, those that are in Christ. He resurrects them from the dead. And some of us, maybe even today, need some resurrection, some revival power in our lives. Maybe you need it in your marriage. Maybe you need it in your faith. Maybe you need it in your hope. Pam and I got a text from somebody who's in the hospital, part of our church, Sam Bryant. She says, you know, I see what you're preaching on this weekend. I kind of need a little revival right now. She didn't expect to be in the hospital this long. You can be praying for her. So why is the resurrection so important? Well, George Bernard Shaw says this. He says that statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one die. You can't escape it. We will all die. No matter how you live your life, at some point, we will die. And so when we get to John 11, this is the last of John's seven miracles that re he records of Jesus. And it's the fifth of the seven I am statements. Now, the seven miracles and the seven I am statements all have one purpose. In fact, we see that at the end of the, at the, end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 30, where he says, the, or 31, he says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. So the fact is, we will all die. But what happens when you die hangs upon these eternal truths. Look what I wrote down here. This, and that is your eternal life is dependent upon your belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me say that again. Your eternal life, where you spend eternity, if it's in, heck, it's, if it's in heaven, it is based on your belief in the resurrection of Jesus. You can't get away from the Bible and not come to any other conclusion. Now, John 11 takes place weeks before Jesus was arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified. But again, his death was not, uh, not the end because three days later, he would be raised. So we're going to learn some lessons from this passage. And there's a lot of text here, so you're going to have to listen fast. First lesson, you will have trials and sorrows. You will have trials and sorrows. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, 
It's not great to be sick in the 21st century. But imagine what it would be like to be ill, to be sick in the first century where they did not have modern medicine. Somebody got sick. That was, a, that, was a, that was a very precarious position to be in. Now, we're introduced to Lazarus, and he's the brother of Mary and Martha. And they lived in this little town, this little village named Bethany. Bethany's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And his, their brother, Lazarus, was ill, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Theirs was a home where the Lord was preeminent. Theirs was a home where the Lord was a priority. Lazarus was ill. What do they do? They, they go to Jesus. They take it to the Lord. Such a, good envir- such a good reminder for all of us. Because trials will come. Sorrows will come. And we, to take, we are to take it to the Lord. Jesus, now he loved Lazarus. But not only did he love Lazarus, but he loves all those that are his. We are children of God as believers in Jesus Christ. He loves us. But there was something about this event, Lazarus being sick, that went way beyond just the fact that he was sick. We see it in verse 4. Notice what he says. But when Jesus heard it, heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You may want to mark that passage because this really becomes the foundation to the rest of this chapter. And we're just going to do 44 verses today. It's a lot. But this verse right here reminds us that there's something else going on. There's something that goes beyond the illness, beyond the sickness. This event would be so that the father and his son would be glorified. Now, right then... They would have wanted Jesus to act. How many of you like Jesus right now? Heal me right now. Provide for me right I mean, just like we want it in our timing and we want it in kind of on our time frame. But look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? You're doing what? You're just going to stay there? Come on, Jesus. But don't forget, the purpose of this was that the Father would be glorified and His Son would be glorified through it. That conjunction, so, it reminds us there's a greater purpose. In fact, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 tells us this. And you just, this is a great verse to have in your In your Rolodex of verses, if any of you remember what a Rolodex is. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You mean, my thoughts aren't everything? I'm not the center of the universe? No. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So often we see in Scripture that God's plans are so much greater, so much different than ours. See, this delay would add to the family's trials and it would add to their suffering. But ultimately, it would deepen their faith 
and it would deepen the faith of the disciples. Even though he delayed two days, we are reminded that the Lord is never late. Now, I don't want to, I want to be careful that that doesn't become a Christian platitude. Well, the Lord's never late. See, the Lord's timing is perfect because God is, is, is perfect. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts greater than our thoughts. So we get to verse 7, and, and then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi. The Jews were just seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Remember last or two weeks ago when we were in John chapter 10, verse 31, it said that, that the Jews picked up stones to stone them, and so he ended up going across the Jordan to the other side. But now he's going to go back to Judea. He's going to go back to the area of Bethany. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because... He sees the light of this world. But if anyone who walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And really what he's just saying is, I'm in God's will right here, and this is where I'm going. The disciples said, or then he says in verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Did the, under, did the disciples understand what he was saying? Nope. The disciples said to him, verse 12, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. Past tense. Jesus delayed two days. Lazarus has now died. Why? What was the purpose in his delay? Well, he tells us, John reminds us, verse 14 again, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. God is going to be glorified. The Son of God is going to be glorified. And what? is taking place here is an event so that you would believe. Verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us, let us also go that we may die with him. They're kind of clueless in Seattle. They don't know what's really going on here. The key is, though, what we see is you will have trials, you will have sorrows, which brings us to the second lesson, which is so important. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. This would be a heartbreaking moment for any family. Lazarus would have been the, the, the breadwinner for the family. He would have taken care of his sisters. You can just imagine the anguish. I still remember November 11th, 1976, when I was in college. 2,000 miles away from home, and I get a call from my father that my oldest brother was dead, that he had died. That was heartbreaking for me. I didn't know Jesus, and I was alone in Southern California. My family was back in Indiana. 25 years later, I still remember on March 23rd, 2015, when my dad called me to tell me that my twin brother was dead. 
father of four. Great family. I learned in that moment, Psalm 34, 18 was very true. Listen to what this says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Listen, we will have trials. We will have sorrows. But the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You are not alone. And in that moment, I realized I wasn't alone. The Lord was near. He saved the crushed in spirit. In fact, my pastor, Jack Graham from Dallas, he, he called me when he found out, and, and, and he gave me Psalm 57.1, and this was just such a great verse for me in that moment. It says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I love that picture of the Lord is my refuge. And we can take shelter in the shadow of his wings. We aren't alone. He is, he is near to the brokenhearted. Eighteen months later, I remember when a, I get a friend. This is, this is August 12, 2016. I get a call from a friend, a childhood friend. Hadn't heard him from him in years. And I, I picked up right away and I said, hey, Rob, how you doing? He goes, Bill, not good. Which was not what you expect to hear. My brother's wife and two of their children were flying from, from Indianapolis up to Richmond, Virginia to see my oldest nephew graduate from Officer Candidacy School at, um, at Quantico, and their plane had disappeared. Just a few hours later, all of our, first our worst fears were realized. My cousin chartered a private jet for me to fly up to Richmond to pick up my nephew. And I remember sitting on this little private jet. I'm all alone. But I wasn't alone. The Lord was with me. He was near the crushed in spirit. I was under the shelter of his wings. It's a reminder that Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. See, sometimes we feel alone, but we're not alone if we're in Christ. I sat in Psalm 34, 18. The fact is, when I read John, uh, John 11, some of you, when you read John 11, you can't help but to feel the pain of what they were going through. But the fact is, they weren't alone. They were near to Jesus because Jesus was near to them. Lazarus is now in the tomb. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. What you see here, and you almost have to step back, Martha and Mary are now surrounded by the church. And that's why it's so important that you have a church family. There is nothing worse than going through a trial and not having church family around you. And the fact is, we don't know when we're going to go through trials. But the fact is, having a church family around you, I know Pam and I went through a really difficult time three years ago, and we had some church family that were around us, bringing us food, consoling us, helping us. It was huge. We don't, 
yes, we gather to hear the word of God and to worship the Lord, but we also gather for fellowship because we're a family. And that's what you see, that there were those there consoling them concerning his brother. Look at verse 20, their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Okay, there you get a little bit of a picture between the contrast of Mary and Martha. Martha had to do something. There are some people, I'm probably one of them, when something happens, you just got to do something. And Mary's just going to sit. What you also see here, and I think it's really important, is that different people grieve in different ways. And that's okay. And we've got to be careful about overlaying our way of grieving onto somebody else or vice versa. The fact is, we all will process tragedy differently. But the most important thing is that we go to the Lord with it. Verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Martha knew to go to Jesus. He was her hope in the storm. Martha knew enough that there was no human solution to this situation, so she took it to the Lord, and she says, Lord, if. Now, her greeting is a confession of faith, but it's also a questioning of God's sovereignty and his providence. He, the, you see these two one-syllable words, words here, Lord, if. One of those words heals, the other one hurts. Lord, you are Lord. You are sovereign. You are over all. I trust you. If. Couldn't you have done it a little differently? See, the word if looks back. What if? What if I had done this, my marriage would not have fallen apart? What if I had done this, I might still have that relationship? What if I did this, I may not have lost my business? See, that hurts. That keeps you from looking forward where you say, Lord, and now you're looking to the Lord. And, and, and you can, you're, there's freedom in that. There's movement in that. How many of us have asked that question? Lord, if, then. But we've got to remember that God is sovereign. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts greater than our thoughts. Then she says this in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She, she has an understanding that the Lord is sovereign, that he is God. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, she was affirming her understanding of the Jewish of the Jewish teaching that at the end there would be a resurrection. Now, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They made up the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the Supreme Court with 70 different uh, um, uh, justices, if you will. 
and, and, the, and the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection. So she's saying, I believe that he will be raised in the resurrection. Sadducees would say, well, no, ain't going to happen. And if you ever want to try to figure out how do you remember if it's the Pharisees or the Sadducees. See, the name Sadducees, the reason is they're sad is because there is no res resurrection. So they're sad, you see. Um, I'm not going to charge you extra for that one. Martha was quick to affirm her faith. The fact is, in this moment, we see that Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if it feels like the world is crashing in on you, there's only one place to go, and that's to the Lord. Spend time in his word. Spend time praying. Spend time surrounded by other believers. Martha knew that her hope was in Jesus. Listen, you will have trials and sorrows, but Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. Here's the third lesson we learn. Jesus is the solution to death. Jesus is the solution to death. Now, verse 14, Jesus says, Lazarus has died. Those are difficult words. Those are devastating words. Those are hopeless words for those that don't know Jesus. In fact, one of the mo most important verses in the Bible is now verse 25, where Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Once again, one of his I am statements where he is declaring that he is God. Jesus, God become flesh is standing in front of him and said, I am the resurrection and, and, and the life. There is no other life except by me. Now notice, he doesn't say, I was the resurrection and the life, or I will be the resurrection and the life, but what? I am. Today. He can meet your needs today. He's alive in this moment, and he offers you spiritual life in the present tense. That's why Hebrews 13, 8 is such a great verse, which says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, there's that word believe again, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he was raised on the third day. And that is great news. But it is only great news for those that believe that he is the Christ. You must believe it. You must believe by faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's accomplished what, he's, what history records he has done. So Jesus looks directly at Martha says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? I mean, there's no getting away from the, from the gaze of Jesus when he's looking at you and saying, do you believe this? Let me ask you, do you believe this? The most important question you can ever answer. 
because it has eternal ramifications. Do you believe this? Has there been a time that you've confessed your sins to the Lord? You've just laid your sins at His feet. That you've turned from your sins. That's called repentance. And that you've embraced Him as Lord and Savior. Do you believe? Because there is no eternal life apart from believing that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Don't skip over this question. Don't walk out of here today without knowing that you know that you know. Your eternal life is dependent upon your belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't ask, Martha, do you feel better now? Remember, her brother's just died. Are you comforted by this? Are you now more optimistic? He says, do you believe this? There is no resurrection power if you do not believe. There is no eternal life in heaven unless you believe that Jesus is the Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. I put up this verse a lot, but it's a very important verse. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from eternal damnation. You'll be saved from, from the wrath of your sins. You will be saved to eternal life. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you believe? Verse 27, Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. He's, she's saying, Yes, I believe you are the fulfillment of all the prophecies of a Messiah who would come. You will have trials and sorrows. Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. Jesus is the solution to death. Finally, Jesus delivers you from sin and death. Jesus delivers you from sin and death. Now, Martha knew that Mary needed to hear what she had just heard. How many of us know the truth, but we don't tell people that we know need to hear it? What I love about Martha here, she says, is, is she's saying, I've, I've got to go tell my sister. I've got to go tell them about what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. Verse 28, when she had said this, her confession of faith, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. That's a good word right there. She just quickly went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, the village of Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, okay, when Mary and Martha were together after Lazarus has died, they're probably both saying, if the Lord had been here, if the Lord had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If the Lord had been here. And they're just, they're repeating that with each other. Not understanding that there was a higher purpose. That God had a plan that they couldn't even see, that they didn't understand. Excuse me. That sounded good, didn't it? All right, just want to wake you up a little bit. The fact is, Jesus had a higher purpose for Lazarus' death. Yet, in this moment, Jesus sees the pain, and he's deeply moved. Don't forget, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. He has all the emotions that we have. Fully man, yet without sin. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Okay, there's a lot here. First of all, the shortest verse in the Bible. If you want to start your memory verse Regimen, here's where you start. Jesus wept. The fact is, he's, he's weeping because his heart is broken over the ravages of sin. The fact that we live in a fallen world, and the fallen world, there is sorrow, and there are trials, and he's broken over that. One other time we see Jesus weep. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. But here, he's weeping because he feels the pain. And here's the thing. If you're going through a trial, if you're going through suffering, know this. Jesus feels what you're feeling. He weeps with those who weep. He rejoices with those who rejoice. This was an emotional moment. See, he was identifying with those who were mourning. But he was also weeping over the consequences of sin. And let me just say this. There's, in fact... There's a, there's, a, there's a great book. If you, if you go through a loss, I want to recommend a book to you. We recommend it to a lot of people, Pam and I do. It's called God's Healing for Life's Losses by a guy named Bob Kellerman. Life's Healing or God's Healing for Life's Losses. The fact is, in this world, we're going to go through loss. And this gets your heart and your mind right. It doesn't necessarily take away the pain, but it helps you to move forward. Verse 38, then Jesus was deeply moved uh, again. He came to the tomb. It was, a, it was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. You can just imagine him wiping the tears away from his eyes, saying, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been there four days. If any of you have ever read the King James and have read this passage, it says, Lord, he stinketh. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There it is. Going back to verse 4. Did not I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We see again verses uh, uh, 25 uh, and 26. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I love the fact that Jesus prays to the Father. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. See, sometimes when we pray for people, others are impacted by it. One of the most important things you can do is like if somebody's going through a difficult time, pray for them. Don't say, hey, I'll pray for you, brother or sister. Pray for them right then. It doesn't have to be a long, rambling prayer. Just pray for them. Remind them of the fact that the Lord is God. And when he had said these things, verse 43, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That is an awesome moment. So often we can read scripture and we just read it as words on a page. But man, you just got to live in the text. I mean, can you imagine standing there? And Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out. Now Spurgeon says the reason he had to, he had to say his name, because if he hadn't, then all the graves in the world would have emptied at that moment. Lazarus, come out. He comes forth from the grave still bound in his grave clothes, and Jesus orders the wrappings to be removed and to be set free. See, that's what the resurrection does for us. It sets us free from sin and death because it is the resurrection that defeats sin and death. It frees us. Think about this. Lazarus was raised from the grave only to die again later. So why would Jesus do it in this moment? First of all, so we know that he could. The fact is, anybody can say, I am the resurrection and the life. But there's only one that could raise the dead to life, and that is Jesus Christ. This was a, a picture of what the Son of God would do for us. See, if you're in Christ, when we die, we don't die. We're just passing on into heaven. See, we're just sojourners here. The, the earth is not our home. See, it was just weeks later that Jesus would be arrested, beaten, crucified on a sinner's cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and raised to life, never to die again. And he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it is that truth that reminds us that we can have eternal life by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Let me end with these five questions. In fact, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. First of all, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came from heaven 2,000 years ago to be a substitute for our sin? Secondly, do you believe that he died on the cross in your place, the Lamb of God, you believe that he, bear, he bore your punishment. He paid for your sins. Third, do you believe that he literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead, never to die again? Do you believe that he was raised? Fifth or fourth, do you believe that he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us right now? you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and able to remove the terror of death 
from those who trust in him. Jesus asks you the question, do you believe? There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. What's the name? Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Your eternal life is dependent on your belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Father, I thank you for these amazing truths and the fact that we can even have eternal life because of our sin we deserve we deserve death but you give us life I'm just reminded of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 which says but God being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us he saved us and it was all because fact that Jesus came into this world, died a sinner's death in our place, and was raised so we could have eternal life. Father, I pray for those here today that don't know Jesus. I pray that today they would confess their sin, maybe even right now. They would declare that you are God, that Jesus is Lord, that he's Lord and Savior. And I pray right now that they would turn from their sins and they would turn to you. I pray that they would embrace Jesus as their only hope for eternal life. And in doing so, their life would never be the same. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.